Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Art of Living interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's show is brought to you by Electric E-Bikes. Ride your electric e-bike during an endless summer. We have a fantastic interview today with one of Hollywood's greats, entertainment industry icon, Alan Shane. We'll be joined by Alan Shane in just a moment, but quickly... If you missed any episodes, last week was our 733rd episode when I spoke with Forbes 30 Under 30 CEO and co-founder of Electric E-Bikes, Levi Conlow. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Smithsonian Associate Dr. Andrew Lamb about his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation titled, The Only Winner in War is Medicine. Excellent subjects for our Not Old Better Show audience. If you missed those shows... Along with any others, you can go back and check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. You can Google Not Old Better and get everything you need to know about us. Our guest today, Alan Shane, was the president of Warner Brothers Television for many years, shepherding hit shows such as Alice, Night Court, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Wonder Woman, Growing Pains, etc., etc., Alan Shane began his career as an actor on Broadway and became a well-known casting director of TV and films such as All the President's Men. He produced TV specials and after leaving Warner's received an Emmy nomination for producing the miniseries The Born Identity with Richard Chamberlain. We'll talk about all that, of course, and a lot more. And we will be speaking with Alan Shane about his new book, The Star Dressing Room Portrait of an Actor. Alan Shane's new book, The Star Dressing Room, is an affectionate, often uproarious new memoir that takes us back to Broadway's golden age. The Star Dressing Room and our interview today with Alan Shane are filled with delightful anecdotes about show business legends from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, including Marlon Brando, Lena Horne, Charlton Heston, Maureen Stapleton, Ricardo Maltabon, Burgess Meredith, Jack Palance, Greta Garbo, Mary Martin, Elaine Stritch, Anne Bancroft, and many, many more. This is an amazing story from Alan Shane about perseverance, triumph, tough times, and a very full life. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Art of Living interview series on radio and podcast, Alan Shane. Alan Shane, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Of course. A pleasure, really, to talk to all your people or see what we can talk about. Well, I've got a couple ideas of what to talk about, and I know my people are going to just enjoy this. You, of course, are a busy man. Can I ask how, how – I'm 66, and so I'm kind of blunt about my age. How old are you? I'm 97. You're 97. Well, congratulations on your on – the- on reaching this point. Yes, and a, and a fabulous career and a new book out titled The Star Dressing Room Portrait of an Actor. I've read the book. You, you've shared it with me generously. I'm so excited to talk to you about this history of Hollywood, your, your work life, your life as an actor, all this great stuff that you've written, bit, written about. So I, I, I want to just start by asking you kind of this obvious question. At, at age 97 <laughs> – what? Why am Why am I busy <laughs> writing a book? Oh, yes, uh, that's a good way to put it. I've never thought really about age, and uh, as a matter of fact, I I was very busy working, as you probably know, mm-hmm. and then finally gave it all up in order to write. 
which I'd always wanted to do. So I never really thought, oh, goodness, I'm a certain age. Can I afford it or do I have time to do it? I've just done it. And uh, it never occurred to me that I was old until people started helping me on the streets. <laughs> Suddenly I was walking across a road and some young person would hold my hand and say, uh-huh. can I help you? Uh-huh, that's kind. And I thought, what am I doing? What do I, why are they doing that to me? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't ever think, ever think about age, uh, except when that happens. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, your life is inspiring, and that part of age, I think, is always important. You're still active. You're still, obviously, writing. We're talking today. Was there something in particular that inspired you to write the book? Well, I'd written some other books mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. my life, Yep. and I always wanted to write about my acting days because I acted as a young actor. Um, till I was about 20, no, about 32. I stopped acting then. But I started acting at 16, 17, and went to New York and tried to be a big movie star and Broadway star. Uh, To a certain extent, I succeeded, but not totally. And I realized that I wasn't really going to make it as a big star and went into another field. But um, that's a kind of long story in the book. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to talk about that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to people because not everybody makes it. Not everybody becomes a star. And I thought maybe that was good for people to know, especially young people who are starting out, that if they didn't make it, there were other things to do that one didn't have to be a disappointed person, which I felt I didn't want to be, if that makes any sense. It, I'm it not does, sure it does. No, it, thank you. It it makes a great deal of sense. And, and you went on to really do some amazing work. Of course, you became president of Warner Brothers Television for many years, producing shows, hit shows uh, like Alice and Night Court, one of my favorites. I'll tell you that right now. But then you, oh, you made – Yes, and then you made films like The Born Identity with Richard Chamberlain. Just some very amazing work, a real a real pivot, I would say, because you, you stayed in the industry. Did you ever think to yourself, well, I've kind of jumped into this more um, a professional career in the industry and kind of administrative and so forth as opposed to the creative side? But it seems to me as though you blended both creative efforts as as well as the administrative side of your work? Well, I, I think I always kept on to the creative part. Mm-hmm. Although, again, I was, you know, an executor. I was a, mm-hmm. in charge, really, of things and putting out fires and making people happy and so forth. But I, I always felt that I was creative. Um, but I realized that I wasn't going to be a big star. And and that didn't make me unhappy, and I never I never looked back really, and I never kept saying, oh, if only I'd been a big star. I never thought of that. Mm. I just went on. Uh, I think that's very important, and it seemed to me a kind of a lesson that I wanted to write about in my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, not an 
you know, not a show off kind of thing, but to say, come on, you know, get on with it. If, if don't sit around and be unhappy that you're not going to be a big star or, you know, a director or something like that. And I had a chance to become a casting director and I thought, okay, I'll do it. I'll try it. Hmm. And from there, I just became an executive and finally president at Warner's. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, um, it seems to me that was part of my book of what I wanted to write. Right. So most of it is about actors and Marlon Brando and, right. you know, big stars that I worked with. Um, and Olivier, and, you know, I did have some wonderful um, meetings with people, let's say, <laughs> mm-hmm. not, not with Marlon. He was, he was kind of uh, an exception to the rule of wonderful people, mm-hmm. though he was a great actor. Mm-hmm. Was that but, um, the point at which you really, because you, right, you, you have no, ego necessarily in this book you're you're very honest there's a great deal of humor and wit and and i think what struck me too was about kind of that moment of pivot because you're very honest about being almost perennially broke as an as an actor and then you were upstaged by a young performer named my marlin well it's true except it took me many years to realize that i was being upstaged Mm -hmm. i still thought i was going to make it and that I'd get the right part or I'd get the right show and suddenly I'd be a big star. Hmm. So I went on, you know, I kind of went on for years after the experience with Marlon Brando and being competitive with him to still believe I was going to do it. And then finally I realized I wasn't. Hmm. But that wasn't sad. It really wasn't. No, you you write, just, and as a matter of fact, you, I was just going to say, I apologize for interrupting, but I was just going to say, it never seemed sad. As a matter of fact, you you, you write with a, a very positive, upbeat style, and again, you just have this great wit about things, and you have this fascinating story about Ricardo Montalban and kind of a last-minute, you know, um, understudy role. C- can you tell us that story? Sure. I was... Uh... I had been a fairly successful television actor in early television and played wonderful leads. And suddenly, when Hollywood discovered television, they began to use movie stars instead of actors from New York. And so I had to work and get other things and become an understudy, become an assistant stage manager, anything to keep alive and mm-hmm. to keep going. Mm. And I had a chance to be in a musical called Jamaica, uh, starring Lena Horne and Ricardo Montalban. And I was just the, I was just a assistant stage manager, but then in order to make more money, they needed somebody to be an old English actor in the show. And they gave me that part and then I got something else. And finally, I, they were looking for an understudy for Ricardo. And although I had never sung or danced on a, in a Broadway show, I auditioned for them, and they gave me the job. And part of it was that 
they only had to give me another $15 or something to do it. <laughs> so it was very, very good for them and yeah. good for me. But nobody ever believed that I could go on. It was a part of a native in uh, Jamaica. I had to be uh, darkened. And uh, no one dreamed that I would ever go on for Ricardo, who was like a, an ox. He was so strong. Hmm. And suddenly one day they were told me that I was going on at the matinee hmm. opposite Lena Horn. Uh, opposite and it was Lena incredible, Horn. Yes. Incredible. I, I, I had, um, I liked Lena Horn very much and we got along very well and she was perfectly happy to play with me, but I had never, I'd never, re uh, rehearsed with her. And suddenly I had to go on within a couple of hours. And the whole experience was so amazing. First place you, you're announced to the audience and the, the loudspeaker says, Ricardo Montalban won't play at this afternoon's matinee. <laughs> the part will be played by Alan Shane. So everybody screamed with fury. The audience went, oh, and I had to suddenly say to myself, I've got to go on playing opposite Lena Horn. And, you know, they don't want me. Nobody wants me. They want Ricardo and he's sick. And I took a moment and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to do it and do the best I can. And if they don't like it, then they don't like it. <laughs> and so that became a big I played it many times with Lena, because Ricardo was would take vacations and things, and uh, it was okay. I mean, I I was good, I wasn't great, but uh, I managed to get through it. But part of the reason I did it was saying, "Okay, I'm a big star, and they're going to love me," <laughs> and I would believe that for the for the time that I uh, acted. Then I would go off stage and forget it and go back to my life. <laughs> but it was a, a way of saying, all right, might as well do it the best I can because I have to do it. So I, I did. Anyway, that was kind of Ricardo and Lena and suddenly being a big Broadway star for two minutes and then going back to my life. Well, it's such a but great... even then I realized that I wasn't going to be a huge I could tell from the audience they liked me and they applauded me, but it was not the big star that I'd hoped to be. But I think it's a story, no. you know, that one thing that you mentioned is that um, you hope this has a message to all of us about, you know, this ability to kind of hang in and persevere and you just decided that you would go on stage or you would do whatever it took to to hang in there financially be a stagehand or what whatever it was that you were thrown you kind of took it on where did that come from is that part of your upbringing is that just something you you just felt you had to do to prove to others how did that all come about that perseverance it's hard to say remember i started acting at 16 mm-hmm and I went to New York just turning 17 without any money, without any training uh, against my parents' wishes. 
and I had to succeed somehow. I mean, I couldn't, I didn't have any money. I had to get jobs ushering and waiting on table, you know, all that stuff that young actors have to do. And somehow you just get through it. You, uh, you know, you don't eat very well. And finally you get a little job here and there and you keep, keep alive. I never, I guess I never thought of failing Hmm. in that sense, you know, saying, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. I just went on with my career, hoping and hoping, and then finally deciding that wasn't it, that I could accomplish other things and work in a kind of different capacity than acting, and that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And so I went from kind of career to career, Mm-hmm. I don't know if that explains anything to you, but it, <clears throat> it does. It's very helpful, and I think again, it's it's very inspirational. And you know, we we talked a little bit about Marlon Brando and Ricardo Montalban and Lena Horne. You also had interactions with Burgess Meredith and Maureen Stapleton and Anne Bancroft. These are all names that are just you know big, <laughs> big stars. And I wonder if you tell us maybe a story about Burgess Meredith or Maureen or the young Anne Bancroft and what you what you learned from them and, and how you kind of saw their careers really take shape. Well, let's see. So talk about Maureen uh, for a moment, I guess, who was really not a very pretty woman and was very aggressive and just determined that she was going to be a big star. And... The story is that she called, one day she called Guthrie McClintic. She was a young actress, and she'd heard that he was doing an Irish play. He was a famous director. And she got him on the phone and somehow said, you know, I want to be in your play. And he was amazed that an actress would call him on the phone anyway. And he said, well, that's very nice, but uh, unfortunately the role is cast. But, you know, perhaps if you want to re- see if you could be the understudy, I would I would have you uh, read for me. And she said, I don't want to be the understudy. I want to play the lead. Mm-hmm. I, you know, either I get the lead or who cares what you want me to do. And he was so amazed that she was so, you know, up front about it that he said, look, come in and I'll, at least I'd like to meet you. And of course, gave her not the lead in the role, in the show, but a good part. And from that, she got another part with Catherine Cornell, and another part. And pretty soon, she was one of the biggest stars in New York. Mm-hmm. It was just that kind of oh, husba, use the word, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. anger that said, "Okay, either I get the lead or I don't." But that's what I want. And she would do that. And I found that that was true in Anne Bancroft. It's true in a lot of people. And they had certainly the true, true in Marlon, who was couldn't have been more sure of himself mm-hmm. and of his own talent. Mm-hmm. We are with I don't author. know if that makes any sense either, but, but it uh, it's, it's kind of knowing that that's what you want and somehow you're going to get it. And in my case of, of 
finally realizing I wasn't going to and wanting to be useful in some other capacity. Hi, it's Paul. I mentioned our sponsor today, Electric E-Bikes. And I just have a quick message for you about electric e-bikes. You know, along the East Coast this entire summer, we have had tons of adverse weather. But I have to tell you that despite that, I've ridden my electric e-bike over 600 miles. (laughs) Summer may be winding down, but electric e-bikes is gearing up for an endless summer, and I'll definitely go another 600 miles easy. My favorite thing about my electric e-bike is the freedom I get when riding, doing errands, out on the road, on local trails, and just having a blast out there. I upgraded to a high-capacity battery for longer rides, I added a more comfortable seat for my own (coughs) seat, (laughs) and I added a basket mounted in the rear for easy carry items, making my e-bike super fun and functional. As summer months come to an end soon, it doesn't matter because I'll still be exploring new locations and finding new adventures around my neighborhood and beyond with my electric e-bike and feeling this great fun from an endless summer vacation. With quality, feature-filled models financed as low as $73 per month, your adventure won't cost you a fortune. They include a powerful removable battery, a bright LCD display, seven-speed gearing, and five levels of pedal assist to power your ride. Electric e-bikes are foldable and they ship free, fully assembled. And for our Not Old Better Show audience, check out the cool new trike from Electric e-bikes. The trike is the industry's first fully foldable and fully assembled electric tricycle. The XP trike features a third wheel for stability and can accommodate a wide range of abilities and preferences. Make every day feel like an endless summer vacation with an XP 3.0 from Electric. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more and explore the epic models Electric has to offer. That's Electric, L-E-C-T-R-I-C, ebikes.com. All of this will be in our show notes. Please support our sponsors and please Stay tuned for the rest of our interview with Alan Shane. We're with author Alan Shane. Alan Shane's written the new book, The Star Dressing Room Portrait of an Actor. Alan Shane, the book is getting great reviews. I, I just want to read one because I just thought this was an impressive one. Rex Reed, who's an American film critic, really everyone knows Rex Reed, the journalist, the media personality. Rex Reed says, so few autobiographies are published today that you can call fresh and learn from. This is one of them. I couldn't put it down, and when it ended, I wanted more. He, of course, is talking about The Star Dressing Room by Alan Shane, our guest today. I just thought that's a, that's a wonderful comment on the book. The book is fantastic. I just want to recommend it highly to our audience. And we, of course, have talked about a whole range of people that you've worked with. I want to talk for a second about Charlton Heston, who you actually took a very active position on his acting career and voted <laughs> him <laughs> so rather than going why don't you tell that well, story we because, were all, yeah we were all young actors mm-hmm. and we were in a play with Catherine cornell a shakespeare play on broadway she was a tremendous star in her uh, career uh, that many people won't even remember but she was a big star and we were all kind of in one dressing room, all the men were in one dressing room because there were a lot of soldiers in Anthony and Cleopatra, which was the play. And uh, we all kind of kidded around and we decided 
who was the least likely to succeed, who was the most kind of obvious and, no, I don't know, rather vain. And we decided that the one who would not succeed would be Charlton Heston, who was one of our actors. And of course, we were totally wrong. Within moments, he became a tremendous movie star. But he had, again, that capacity for belief in himself that, uh, you know, he was just sure that he was wonderful and talked constantly about the movie, about the uh, messages he got from women and messages even from men because mm -hmm. he was so handsome and everybody thought he was so great. We all thought he was not, <laughs> and we were wrong. <laughs> quite wrong <laughs> and I did then end up acting with him in other things but uh, that was another example of well of Marlon of people who really believe so in themselves of Maureen Stapleton of people who believe so in themselves that they had the strength to fight it and they did mm -hmm. that's a real theme that, and Pardon? I, I I'm sorry. I was just going to go on to say that that's a that that again that doggedness, that perseverance, just hanging in there, keep fighting, keep. That's a real theme in the book. That's and you're you're doing that today at age ninety seven. You're you're hanging in there with us. Well, I I yes, I guess that's true. Mm -hmm. I you know the book also is mainly it's fun. I mean, it's about mm -hmm. anecdotes and. Mm -hmm actors and life and 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 also a lot of uh, sex i have to say because at young as a young actor or a young person you uh, have many uh, liaisons if you want to call them of falling in love and meeting people so you know it's not all a terrible um work life it has a lot of fun to it and a, a lot of uh, life experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't so that, never an it, never an ordeal at all. It, it is a very both professionally and personally, it was a wonderful life. And and this book, of course, the Star Dressing Room Portrait of an Actor, follows one of your other books uh, titled Double Life: Portrait of a Gay Marriage from Broadway to Hollywood. You've been very open about the subject of homosexuality and bisexuality in an industry that hasn't always been as accepting as it is today. How, no, no. Tell us a little bit about your journey, both in terms of self, ex, you know, your, your own self-acceptance uh, and well, how that affected your... Yeah, please go. It was terribly difficult in the beginning because remember, if I was 16, 17 in, in New York, it was a time when anybody who was gay was kind of, put down, um, act, actors who were known to be gay were not sent out on jobs. I mean, agents and directors didn't want them. They didn't want to see anybody like that unless it was in a comedy, comedy role. Hmm. So, you know, when you were young, in, when I was young in any case, you had to be very careful and not let anybody know that you were gay. And as a result, um, I fought kind of 
fought the whole thing, um, got married, uh, lived with um, a very beautiful actress for many years. But then finally, with the help of analysis and growing up and giving up just the dream of being an actor, I realized who I really was and that I had to live my life and live it openly, which I did. And I've had a relationship for 65 years now Hmm. with the same person. Hmm. And it's been wonderful. That's, you know, it's been a wonderful, happy time. And I... I... Very, very uh, creative and tough. There have been tough times, Mm -hmm. but it's been very good. I want to congratulate you on on this life that's been um, one that's been so successful and in 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 times that have been really challenging as as you write about you also write very uh, you know it's a very impressive part of your career when you became president of Warner Brothers Television which you did for many years and maybe give us a couple of of stories from from that period because you were nominated for an Emmy you as i say you you did the wonderful program Night Court and uh Wonder Woman and Growing Pains lots of great TV shows and so and the about... Dukes of Hazard we had <laughs> can't we forget that get the Dukes of Hazard <laughs> of course not uh, <laughs> that's a great no one. i was very fortunate i i uh, i was asked to take over the television division at Warner's um, just temporarily because I'd done a lot of television and they were going out of the television business. They wanted to just give it up, but they needed somebody to just be there for a few months until they could get out of it because it was very unsuccessful. And I didn't really know what it was like to be unsuccessful in that way. Uh So I began to work and suddenly began to sell some shows and do some things until finally it was successful again. Hmm. And Warners then decided they'd stay in the television business and wondered who they should get to take over the presidency. So I helped them. We all looked at lists and we interviewed people. And finally one day I said, you know, I've really done all of this, and why don't you give it to me? Hmm. Um, Everybody was startled by that. And and also, I was known quite uh, openly as a gay person, and that really wasn't very, um, what shall I say, it wasn't very interesting to um, executives in movies, in movie um, movies, producers' offices. So they thought that was not a good idea. And yet, finally, after a couple of weeks, they recognized that I had done all the work, therefore I should be the president. Mm -hmm. And it was very daring at the time because gays were not openly admired in that way. I mean, you know, they were beginning to be in movies, but usually, you know, for comedy roles. And to have suddenly somebody be the head of a movie studio, a television studio, um, and be openly gay was unusual. 
Uh, I didn't rub it in people's faces, but uh, I also didn't pretend to be something other than I was. Mm-hmm. And that was another kind of helpful step in my life because I lived openly and was able to do all my work. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Dukes of Hazard, and, and I wonder, was that a favorite? Was Growing Pains a favorite? Mm-hmm. Was what what it, in terms of your executive career professionally what what was a favorite of yours and maybe share a the favorites i think were ones that ma- i managed some, somehow to keep on the air because one of my problems as a president was getting a show on the air that could go into syndication mm-hmm. and uh, that happened after usually 5 years in those days And it was very hard to work because there were only three networks. I mean, today there are millions of opportunities for work. Mm -hmm. But at that time, there were just three networks. And if you didn't get one, one of them, you were out of business. So really what I was doing was trying to keep shows on the air and make them as good as possible. Mm. But my favorites, what can I say? I managed to get Catherine Hepburn to do a movie. I um, managed to um, sell, uh, what, uh, big shows to networks. Um, that was my work. Mm-hmm. Um, the things I was, I was, I was very proud of The Born Identity, which was the last thing mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. The series, The Born Identity. With, with, with Richard Chamberlain, and mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and he was terrific, and that was, and <clears throat> but excuse me, I found that I was <clears throat> sitting in the snow in the middle of a of a scene when everybody else was having a warm time in their <laughs> Winnebago. <laughs> I couldn't afford to be that since I was the producer. So I'd sit in the snow, and I suddenly thought, what am I doing at my age, working on this when I should be doing something else? And that was kind of the end of my Hmm. period of then deciding to write rather than no longer work. It's, um, what did I, I don't know what, what was I proudest of? I guess I was proud of having so many shows on the air and having them succeed. And uh, that that was mainly what I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, sitcoms, for example, are not, uh, they're very hard. I mean, because you're getting, constantly trying to get people to be, well, for example, I, I got Linda Levin to be Alice, to get mm-hmm. her into Alice which was an idea that I had, and it ran for years. So that was good. I mean, you know, these were all good things, and people enjoyed them. They were sitcoms, but, I mean, it was not like, what to say, like The Born Identity or or uh, The Corners Green with Catherine Hepburn mm. or, you know, a... a a more serious movie that I was able to do because I did a lot of things like that as well. Well, we have just so enjoyed 
a conversation with you today. I wonder if you want to comment on the SAG-AFTRA um, issue that's really facing the industry. You, you've got this interesting <clears throat> perspective as an executive and then as, a, as an actor. And you, you talk I'll about tell you what I, mm-hmm, How please. I can answer that. When I left television, um, that was the end of it. I mean, I didn't get involved in it. I went on with my writing, and I, I to this day, I uh, have not been back to Hollywood, hmm. and I lived there for twenty years. It's a. I made a decision not to look back on it and to go to another career. So today, what can I say about that? I, I think, uh, I'm not really equipped to decide one way or the other as to what's going on. I think actors, I don't know, you know, I come from a period of actors when just to work was important, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It wasn't about money. And so I really am not equipped to tell you anything about Mm -hmm. that. Well, thank you. Except except that I hope actors get what they want. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. terrific. Yeah, of course. Of course. And you, you, over your career, have worked with some amazing actors, Jack Palance and Dolores Del Rio, Samford Meisner, Stella Adler, Greta Garbo. The list goes on and on. The book, of course, is wonderful by our guest today, Alan Shane, the title of which is The Star Dressing Room, Portrait of an Actor. We will put links so that our audience can find out more about Alan Shane and his new book, The Star Dressing Room, as well as these all these wonderful, funny uh, affectionate stories from this golden age of Broadway and Hollywood. Alan Shane, thank you so much for your time and for this wonderful book. Congratulations. Have a great oh. summer day, please. Oh, you too. You, you've been so nice, and thank you for your questions and and your attention. It's terrific. Thank oh, you. Thank you. My thanks to Alan Shane and his generous time today about his new book, The Star Dressing Room Portrait of an actor. My thanks to our sponsor today, Electric E-Bikes. Electric E-Bikes, ride your electric e-bike during an endless summer. Please support our sponsors who in turn so generously support the Not Old Better show. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for their ongoing support of the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better show audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week.